I'm Luka Doncic and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. This is gonna be huge. 360 in the contract. Never that. I just take the contact. I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Dirk with the back. Welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, and join me, first time friend of the show, friend of the pod. Uh, I met him in person one time. It's not very often you get a guest where you've actually met in person. Justin Russo, he's at Fly by Night on Twitter. He's a writer, producer, as well as the host of the Clip and Roll podcast. What you got for me, Justin? Man, I can't believe the postseason really is just a couple of days away. Like, it's, it seemed like we were never going to get to this point, and then now it's here. It, because there was that four month layoff in the middle, it just it just kept getting pushed back and kept getting pushed back, and now we're playing NBA basketball in August, which should never really happen in my brain. Like it just doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it feels now like we're getting into June, right? When yeah, outside it's not a, that way. <laughs> there's a lot of weird stuff. Like there's Champions League soccer happening right now, which doesn't happen in August, and you know it's just a bunch of weird things that you kind of have to readjust your body clock and and mentally in a lot of ways yeah and i'm gonna be yeah gearing up for the draft and you know free agency in like october (laughs) yeah it's gonna be so strange but i wanted to bring justin on because he covers the clippers and uh man just a an avid you know twitter's twitter follow if you want to follow him on twitter we'll put a link in the description of this podcast but i wanted to start with this (sighs) i saw your tweet today which one? I saw I your tweet. <laughs> there's there's many. I know. I saw your tweet today with the water gun horse. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I decided I had to pull that out because I remember vividly when that happened on Twitter. <laughs> A man lost his job for that tweet for that tweet, and then you photoshopped <laughs> it to make it the Clippers. Yeah, oh, I man. I hope I don't get a Clippers guy in trouble for that one. Oh my god! Yeah, they, they'll actually think that that one <laughs> it was actually Clippers social media person. Man. Oh man! All right, let's. I'll never, st- I'll never hear the end of it if that's the case. <laughs> All right, let's start here with the uh, Mavericks Clippers matchup. From the Clippers side, what's your confidence meter in number of games? So for me, I'd say I'm I'm confident Clippers in five, right? Like that's where I feel confidence for the Mavs. Where do you feel confidence wise for this series? The most confident I've settled on is Clippers in six. I really do think Dallas has a really good chance of getting two games, if not more. Like this could go seven. I think people have to remember Doc Rivers has never had the Clippers win a series in under seven games. So and now granted, there's never been a a tandem on the team as good as Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were. They're not Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, uh, which I don't want to undersell how good Chris and Blake were, but that's just the case. It's just, I don't know because of the injury factor too with the Clippers, what's going to happen, but I I feel confident in Clippers and six Clippers and six. So you're giving the Mavericks a little bit more credit and maybe this is, you know, first time with this group going into the playoffs, but yeah, it's going to be an incredible run. I was, I was looking at the Lakers and Clippers potential run, through this, you know, first round, like the Clippers would potentially have to go through Dallas, Denver, and then the Lakers, right? Like that's an incredible run to try and get into the finals. Right. I mean, both teams really have their work uh, cut out for them. Yeah. Like this, and I know everyone always says every year, well, the West is tough and it is, but I also think this year is a little bit, uh, possibly tougher just because everybody got four months off and a lot of them came back healthier than they had been four months ago. Like in the Clippers case, Paul George came back healthier than he was four months ago. Yeah. So 
and and I know I know he's not alone in that regard. So it's going to be very interesting this postseason. Yeah, it's going to be strange. I've been asking everybody, do you think it's going to be harder or easier for the for the champion, you know, to get there? Uh, and some people, you know, it just seems like it's split right down the middle, depending on who you are, what you value. Uh, my co-host on the podcast, Isaac, he really values like the the travel, and it's like a, he thinks that that is harder than what this is going to be, but. You know, it just depends on what you, you think. Uh, so this Clippers team, we've heard a lot about this Clippers team. It seems like they're really disjointed. I just went through all of their games played. And, like, uh, Paul George missed, you know, 32% of the season. Patrick Beverly missed 29% of the season. Kawhi Leonard missed 20% of the season. Montres Harrell missed 12% of the season. Lou Williams missed 8% of the season. All those guys missed a whole bunch of games. It doesn't really feel like we've seen this Clippers team at full strength. And yet, they're... The only team in the top, you know, they're only one of two teams in the top five in both offensive and defensive rating. They're just this incredible juggernaut that hasn't seemed to put it all together yet. Uh, how do you feel? Are you just thinking that the Clippers are being held back by injuries right now, or what's standing in the way of the Clippers being like a juggernaut type team right now? I think the timeline of the season really messed with them because they were without Paul George for the first 11 games, and then he came back, and then when he came back, Kawhi Leonard was actually out for several games because of a knee issue that he suffered in a game against the Rockets. So Paul George had to kind of carry it by himself as he tried to work his way back into actual playing shape. And then, you know, Kawhi was in and out because of his injury management situation with his quad. Um, Patrick Beverly, like you said, missed games. He had a uh, groin issue. Um, Paul George missed more games with a ham- three different. Th- see, the thing with Beverly and George is they each missed three separate stints of time. Uh, with injuries, like uh, Beverly had a groin issue three different times. Paul George had a hamstring issue three different times and actually was dealing with that when the season came to a stop uh, back in March. You know, and then there's other stuff like Landry Shamit missed a lot of the season because of an injury. You know, it's they've never really had their full allotment of players. And I think Doc Rivers the other day in the bubble was doing a, a, a media call about it. And I believe he said they've only had like three practices all season up until that point where they had like literally every player available. So that, that really does limit what you're capable of doing to some degree. But <laughs> yeah. If you don't, great. if the players aren't there. <laughs> yeah. Like, but you know, they have been great. And I guess that's what I have to keep reminding myself of is like, look, they've had all these injuries. They've still been really good. Maybe this is kind of like them slowly getting back to normal and then they're going to ramp up in the postseason. But that's also a dangerous game to play, as we have seen several times. Yeah, it just feels like everyone's waiting for them to flip the switch and to finally, you know, be this dominant juggernaut team. And maybe against Dallas, they 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 turn out that way because, man, they have destroyed the Mavericks a couple of times this season. Um, uh, So with the Mavericks, you know, Playing the Clippers now, Clippers have been sort of disjointed, have been, you know, haven't had all their guys. How do they look going into this first round? Patrick Beverly's missed some games. Montrezl Harrell, is he going to play in this first round? Uh, how do they look like health-wise? So Beverly's dealing with uh, what was called a left calf strain, and he has missed the last several games. The last game he played was against the Phoenix Suns on August 4th, and he only played the first eight minutes of that game. So he's missed the last four games. He's missing the game on Friday against uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder. So that's five straight games he's missed. I don't know if he'll be ready uh, for game one on Monday. I was kind of hoping when they were going to release the schedule that it would kind of break in the Clippers' favor to where they get a Tuesday start rather than a Monday because that Mm. extra day could pay dividends. But they got Monday. Um, There's no word on if Beverly's going to play. There was practice photos that came out today where it looked like he might 
be ready to go, but I mean, those are pictures and you, you can't really say <laughs> he um, looks physically good in the picture. It's like, <laughs> yeah, he looks great in the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Montrez Harrell has the quarantine issue. He was supposed to be back for Friday's game against OKC. It sounds like he's not going to be. I don't know when he'll be back. Yeah, we're uh, recording this before that game, by the way. So in case anything changes, that's. Yeah, I, maybe I jinxed it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> or maybe he pl- maybe he randomly plays. Who knows? The yeah, bubble just, has been... just shows just shows up. Who's gonna but, stop so, him? Like Montrez Harrell, though, I want to follow that timeline. So he joined the team on Monday, right? Like Monday of you know of this past week. So he had to quarantine for two days, and now he's well. Uh, okay, so he is, he came in late Sunday. Yeah, like super late at night Sunday, and he started quarantining. He was supposed to have a four day quarantine, which put him available to come out on either late Thursday or early Friday to play. But every update that's been given is just, he's still out with self isolation. So he's had a tweet and an Instagram post, which for anyone who follows Montrez Harrell on any social media, yes, a lot of the stuff he posts has nothing to do with basketball. So <laughs> he's always very un- cryptic. It's just like, yeah, it's he's random. Like, man, what does that mean? Does he hate his team? You know, it's like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> something else. He, he posts a lot of cryptic stuff, but uh, for me personally reading into it, there was a tweet and an Instagram story that he had that seemed very connected and about basketball where he was like, you know, this is kind of, I'm not going to cuss on it, but he's basically saying, you know, this is, this is bogus. Like, yeah. you know, uh, there's something going on, which I kind of took to mean, like, I think he got a longer isolation and a quarantine. So I don't know if he'll be ready for game one, but even if he is ready for game one, you're asking a guy who has not played a basketball game in basically six months now or five months, I guess at this point, to ramp up into a postseason intensity right away, and I don't know how easy that is. Yeah, especially for a guy like that, where he needs that explosion, he needs that like burst, you know, to be to be ready like right away. Uh, maybe that helps him. Maybe he's just able to come back and be, you know, if fifty well, percent of Montrezl Harrell is still like a great player. Right. So and uh, Landry Shamit's uh, apparently in a walking boot, so I don't know. Oh my gosh. He'll be, yeah, I don't know if he'll be ready for game one. Doc didn't make it out to be like anything major, but I will say if you're in a walking boot as a player, it's probably not a good thing. It's definitely not positive for for sure. It could be precautionary, but you know, all right, coming up, I want to get into more about Kawhi Leonard, about his, you know, first season with the Clippers. It's been kind of an interesting year for him. So I want to get into that coming up. All right, Justin, want to talk now about Kawhi Leonard. Um, is Kawhi Leonard the best Clipper ever already, or do you think he needs to accomplish a few things? Like talent-wise, I think he's the best player that they've ever had. But accomplishments-wise, what does he have to do for you to become the best Clipper ever? Man, that's a that's a loaded question because to because the best to me uh, is still Chris Paul. I think he's the best Clippers player I've ever seen. Um, I do agree with you. I think Kawhi Leonard's the most talented. I also would say Blake Griffin will always be the most important. So, like, I don't think Blake was ever the best. Like, there was a stretch where he was the best Clipper on that team, but Chris Paul was still the best player the Clippers ever had. But I agree. I think I think Kawhi is the most talented player they've ever had. Um, his ability on both ends of the floor, when he really locks in, it's pretty scary. And <laughs> Yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, like, the only other player I've really seen that, to be honest with you, on the Clippers is Chris Paul. Hmm. Like, that ability to... In the moment, he can take over a game by himself on both ends of the floor just with his intelligence and with his instincts. And I get that out of Kawhi, which is kind of crazy because you look at his career arc 
And if you go back five years, you would not have expected him to be this player. <laughs> I know, especially as a scorer. I mean, yeah. as a scorer, Kawhi, I mean, that for, we forget that, you know, we credit him for that finals MVP, but that finals MVP, he averaged, you know, that first year with the, the Spurs when they won, he only averaged like 12 points a game in the regular season. I mean, he was not this player that just dominated on both ends and was able to get his own shot wherever. Like his... His development has been so incredible. Probably one of the the best examples besides maybe Giannis of a developmental player in the NBA. Just going from, you know, drafted in the middle of the first round to then getting all the way up to finals MVP because of his impact that he makes on everything besides scoring the ball, basically. And then getting to now this point where he's some consider the best player and I consider the best player in the NBA. I don't know if I would consider him the best player because... You wouldn't. uh, Interesting. No, I I still think it's Giannis. I I think it really is Giannis. But... The, the interesting, I guess, side story with the whole Kawhi thing, especially with the Clippers and Paul George, is I'm sure people remember, like, the Spurs got him in that draft, but he was picked by the Pacers. Right. And so for about a couple minutes, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were teammates. Yeah, and they both were, like, these undervalued, not really uh, star, you know, level, like, players, which would have been really interesting. From the Mountain West, not from a big conference. You know, like they they worked hard in college. They upped their game. They got to be lottery picks. And, you know, look, the Clippers are a dangerous team because of them. I also think that there is a lot of um, I don't know how to describe it. It's more or less like there's stuff on the on the perimeter, on the edges of this team where I'm kind of like, I don't know, like, you know, like Lou Williams defensively, Montrose Harrell yeah. defensively at times, you know, like there's little things. And does that mean I don't think they can win the title? No. I also don't believe pretty much any team in the NBA is ever perfect. Like, there's no perfect teams, really. Unless yeah, that you 17 count- Warriors team was close, but other than that. <laughs> yeah, like, th- like there's there's teams that come super close. It's just, it's, it's the way that you limit your weaknesses, and the Clippers at times have shown they can't limit them, and then at vastly other times they've shown that they can just really wash away the weaknesses to where they don't even look like they're even there. Yeah, I want to get into those weaknesses a little bit in the third segment, but... Uh, is there anything about Kawhi's game that surprised you? You know, seeing him from afar and now just I'm sure you've watched every single game of the Clippers this year and watched every game he's played. Was there anything about his game that surprised you? So it's funny. The only thing that's kind of surprised me, to be honest with you, is his playmaking, which didn't even surprise me that much because before the season began, I did a video dive on him uh, from his time with the Toronto Raptors and then going back the last full season that he had played with the San Antonio Spurs kind of to see like what he was like as a pick and roll passer, as a ball handler, et cetera. And then what I found in the numbers with Toronto is like the Toronto Raptors weren't shooting well, or just, I should say there was not a high points per possession yielded out of Kawhi Leonard pick and roll stuff, whether he was passing to spot up guys, whether he was passing to the roll man, it just didn't look great on the, on the numbers. But then I looked at the video and I was like, you know what? He's getting these guys open shots and they're just not making them. So I looked at the Clippers roster and I was like, okay, they're going to have Landry Shamit. They're going to have Paul George. They're going to have Lou Williams. Like these are all good shooters. Patrick Beverly is a really good shooter. Like they have all these options to shoot. Jermichael Green as well. They should hit them at a recent, at a decent rate. So he became a better productive playmaker with the Clippers, which didn't shock me. But what did shock me in that respect is just how well Kawhi Leonard and Evita Zubats have, have merged together yeah. in the pick and roll well, game. We saw that in that last Dallas game. Yeah, they are, I would honestly say, like I know everyone talks about Lou and Trez, pick and roll, like that's that's the bread and butter for them. 
I would actually say Kawhi and Zubat's pick and roll is better than that. Wow. There you go. Yeah, I well, Kawhi le- Kawhi's averaging career high in assists. He's at 4.9 a game. His career high before that was in San Antonio. It was three and a half. So, I mean, he really upped it this year in, in the in the playmaking department. And maybe that's because the Clippers don't necessarily have, like, you know, true point guard, really. They play with Lou and they play with, you know, Pat Beverly and Reggie Jackson here and there. But uh, Kawhi Leonard's been, you know, handling the ball a little bit more. He's played, you know, he's he's the definite, you know, best guy on the team, which, you know, hasn't really been the case, you know, for a lot of his career, which we talked about. Uh, but, yeah, his playmaking has been – I mean, it's, it, he absolutely picked the Mavericks apart the last time that they, they played. I mean, Zubat had 21-15 and 15 in that game. And, uh, man, that, that's one thing that the Mavericks really have to, to contain in this series. Yeah, the ability – and I'll even speak about this about Zubats is Zubat's screens are probably the best indicator of if the Clippers are going well offensively. Because if his screens are generating enough space for Kawhi on pick-and-roll pull-ups, then it's going to be a long night for the opposing defenses. Because then they have to suck up on the pick-and-roll. They can't stick back and drop coverage. And if they have to come up, Kawhi's been so good at hitting Zubats on the roll that it's really helped uh, against opposing defenses to the point where like they have to pick and choose what they're giving. Like, are you giving up the Kawhi mid-range pull-up? Are you giving up the Zubats roll? Or are you even, if you if you try to stop those two things, are you giving up the spot-up three to somebody? Because Kawhi's been really good. And, I, and this is kind of funny because I've noticed this with Luka Doncic too when I've done my dive on him. They're both really good at getting into the lane and no looking to a guy in the corner while looking at the wing. And it really yes. upsets the timing of opposing defenses. It just freezes the guy that's in front of him or, or whoever's, you know, defending. I just used one of those plays as an example for something I did for ePlay. Uh, and it's a, a quiz that we're doing where Luca was driving into the paint and Hassan Whiteside came off of Maxi in the corner. And then Luca just no looked him to the baseline and there was no one there. <laughs> and he just yes. looked him up and I was like, where was Hassan Whiteside looking where he no looked him to the baseline have, where he just stopped and then passed in the corner. Luca's incredible, man, because when the season halted, I did a video dive on him uh, that I posted on my Patreon where I talked about how, like, look, the Mavericks are a potential first-round series. We have to actually look at this. If Because I was operating under the assumption the standings would be frozen and you go to the postseason or right. whatever. So I was like, okay. So I did a dive on him, his pick-and-roll passing. And I looked just at him against the Clippers because because I'm trying to see how the Clippers would defend him. There is a pass from him that really is burned into my brain. He is driving to the right in a pick and roll and he reads Paul George helping off of the strong side corner before Paul George even helps on to tag the roll man. <laughs> and because of this, George doesn't expect this cool. Uh, Doncic is looking at the roll man before George even moves and passes to the corner. Well, while the ball's in the air, George is already moving to the roll man. So the shots open for Tim Hardaway and he, and he knocks it down. And it's like Luca reads the game at such a high level and that's the problem for the Clippers. Not that I don't think they can win the series, the Clippers, I mean. But, like, you're dealing with a guy who's like a chess master. <laughs> you're trying to think three moves ahead, and that's really tough. Yeah, he has, like, this spidey sense, right? Where he just, he sort of just know He's played so much basketball. He's played at a high level for so long that he's 21 years old, but he's played professionally since he was, like, 15, 16. So he's just seen so much, and he just, he knows, right? He knows the, those guys, like you said, with Paul George. Uh, coming off and even before Paul George was going to help he just expected it to come it's it's incredible to watch him play every night uh, I feel very very fortunate uh, one more yeah. thing about Kawhi though um, 
I've heard talk about, you know, Kawhi's not as dominant defensively as he has been in the past. And we kind of get to a place with a lot of these stars where, you know, this happened with Kobe and LeBron, where they're really good defensively at the start of their career. And then they just kind of like coast on reputation for a while. Do you think that's happening with Kawhi or is he still just as dominant defensively night to night as we expect him to be? So it's really like there are some nights with him where I'm like, wow, this is the best defensive player in the world. Like it's not even close. And there are nights where I can tell he's just kind of coasting because I think he just assumes like he doesn't need to play as hard on that end, which I under like no one's for sure. Yeah. No one's 100 percent intensity every night. Like it's just impossible. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, he's he's a maniac. But um, with Kawhi this year, I have felt his defense has been very good overall. I do think there's been some blips where he can kind of get lost a little bit off ball because he's trying to play the game of digging and retreating on the help. So like he'll dig down to help on a drive because he, he knows it's coming before anyone else does. And then he gets caught in like a no man's land because he has to then retreat to a shooter who's just open enough to make a shot. The other thing, I don't think he's been as stout at the point of attack, especially in the bubble. I do think he's been uh, – I don't want to say this word in like, a, in like a derogatory way. He's been lazy at times uh, defensively. Yeah, which like is part of that coasting, right? Right. Yeah, like he's been too upright at times, and you're like, okay, like that's not really the Kawhi I know. But it is part of the process with guys like that where they're not going to bring it defensively every night, and the hope is – that in the postseason, he will ramp it up to, all right, this is all-world defender Kawhi Leonard. And if he does ramp it up to that, it's a tough road for any team that plays the Clippers. If he isn't able to get back to that, it's going to be a little bit tougher for the Clippers to get where they ultimately want to go. Yeah, well, and with that, if he's not going to be there, you also have Paul, Paul George as an option, Patrick Beverly as an option. I mean, it's not like <laughs> you're without... It's nice to have them. Yeah, it's not like you're without... It defensive options all right coming up i want to get into more about the clippers weaknesses talk about the criticism we've seen from the clippers uh from outside media fans and all that i want to talk about that with justin coming up all right justin what's the biggest criticism you hear about the clippers from outside media and outside fans so like not clippers fans not clippers media but outside criticism and whether that's founded or unfounded i would say rim protection they there's this perception the Clippers don't have rim protection, and I completely understand why people would say that. But with Zubots in there, they have one of the very best rim protectors in the league. And if you look at all their data with him on compared to off, like all their rim stuff is fantastic with him on. All their uh, the, the shot distribution that they give up is is great with him on the floor. Like he's this uh, gr- he's a great defensive player, and I don't think he gets the credit that he should honestly be getting when they say you know the Clippers don't have enough rim protection I also understand that with him out of the game it's not good and there is there is some truth to the fact that Doc Rivers doesn't trust him well I shouldn't say doesn't trust him he trusts Montrezl Harrell more than him right to play a bulk of the minutes that's why you will see Montrezl Harrell play 18 straight minutes to finish a game and that drives me up a wall and it has all season long. <laughs> I've definitely seen you tweet about that I think that's pretty funny <laughs> at one time I was charting it uh, on a game-by-game basis I had to stop charting it because I was getting like really annoyed <laughs> but um so that's a perception that I think is a little bit wrong with the Clippers the other one is like they don't have a true playmaker so that's kind of a detriment I don't think that's a bad thing for them though like I think the fact that they have Lou who can handle um Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Patrick Beverly does it at times. I think those are okay. Like, I think that's fine. Like, they're not stuck with just one guy. The problem 
that the Clippers had in the Lob City era is it was really just Chris Paul and then sometimes Blake Griffin as the lead ball handlers. And it really bogged things down because teams knew what to expect. And with this team, they have so m- they have several more ball handlers or at least capable ones that I think it, it gives them a greater uh, ceiling offensively than they had several years ago. So that's another thing. But like I said, I understand where people come from with that because we're so used in the NBA to these teams. Like, like let's use the Lakers, for example. They have LeBron James, who is the epitome of a lead ball handler. And the Clippers don't have that. They don't have Chris Paul. They don't have James Harden. They don't have any of those guys. But they have enough ball handlers to make it work. And their offense, which is something Doc Rivers has long wanted to do and even did the last two years on the team, he likes it to be an egalitarian style where everyone really gets to touch the ball. And that's what we're seeing this year with this, uh, at least if you want to say, three great ball handlers and a fourth good one. Yeah, I think I think the Zubak point, I think that he's a he's a fine rim protector. And if you have the great defensive guards and wings that they have, I mean, you, you really just need, you know, an average to above average rim protector to kind of just, you know, get all these players funneled to. I mean, the Mavericks have struggled in that area as well against them. Um, what's the biggest criticism you hear about the Clippers from fans? So Clippers fans, actually, for the Mavericks, it's defense, it's clutch offense, clutch, you know. Uh, free throws has been a huge thing they talk about. What's something that Clippers fans just you know are so annoyed about this team? Ooh, um, Doc Rivers rotations and the minute allocation to certain players. So the Clippers, and I really don't want to make this sound like I mean the Clippers might have a Reggie Jackson problem. Did they play him too much, or that he's yes? That they the need too much. The problem the Clippers from him. have is they can't play Reggie Jackson and Landry Shamit together. Their minutes together are downright awful. And it's not, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's not either one that's the problem. They're both the problem together. (laughs) When you take one out of the equation and even replace them with Lou Williams, they're great. They operate really well. It's them two together. So that'll be interesting. But the Reggie thing is, as bad as Lou Williams is defensively, I think the Clippers are okay with that. Because they understand where he's going to be on the floor. Like, he at least understands the system in and out. So they kind of know how to, like, deal with where he's going to be. I don't think they have an idea of where to, of how to deal with the defensive miscues and mistakes that Reggie Jackson has made. Because there's been mistakes on switches. There's been him just getting beat at the POA, like, really easily. He's given up the baseline without any help there, like, several times. Um, his defense has really regressed since he came to the bubble. Now, do I think that can kill the Clippers? I do, but I also would like to think Doc Rivers won't play him 20 minutes a night. But that's the fear Clipper fans have, which is if Doc Rivers sticks to his guns, Doc Rivers likes veteran players, I have the fear, and I think these people have the same fear, the fans, I think Landry Shamit might be just out of the postseason rotation. I think Reggie's going to get a spot, and that could be bad. Yeah, and you're hoping with Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams back that, you know, limit those kind of minutes, playoff rotation, things like that. But, yeah, that's definitely something Mavericks fans have had with with certain players as well. Just, you know, some of these veteran coaches, they love veteran players. And, you know, that to, to that, the detriment of some of these younger players. Um, all right, well, I'll, I'll, let's just finish on this. This is a random question, but who should be sixth man of the year? And is it on the Clippers? It's not on the Clippers. I actually oh. have been a very strong advocate of Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, I, I voted for him with our lockdown awards as well. I think he's been awesome. I think he should get the award. Like, as great as Lou and Trez have been for the Clippers, and they really have, they've been awesome. 
they have each other to lean on. Yeah, one of them's a seventh man. It can't count. To some degree, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, with Dennis, though, you look at all the data with the OKC Thunder. Like, every lineup with him on the floor is so good. Their three-guard lineup of him, Shea, and Chris are just incredible. When you add Gallinari to those three, they're, like, unstoppable, basically. So I think Dennis Schroeder deserves the recognition also because – this is kind of like a rebirth for him. Like when you really think about it, Dennis Schroeder was kind of just given away by Atlanta, like just sent away because he made too much money and he wasn't as good as they thought. He wasn't the point guard of the future to replace Jeff Teague. And he goes to OKC. He learns under Chris Paul this year and they're, and, and he's good. He's efficient. Their offense is incredible with him on the floor. I think he's been the best six man by far. And I'll even say that by far, I think he's been the best six man. Dang. Well, there you go. Justin, we appreciate you jumping on. Thanks for the uh, you know Clippers insight. And, uh, man, we hope that this is a six-game series, like you say. Yeah, I mean, I, re- I think the Dallas Mavericks are super dangerous, and I really hope people, especially on the national spotlight, and even Clipper fans, don't sleep on them. Like, they have the best offense in NBA history for a reason. You know, like, Absolutely. yes, the, Dal- the Dallas Mavericks defense isn't good. That also might not matter when you're scoring 130 a night. <laughs> yeah, I just noticed that every single game, the Mavericks scored more points against the Clippers. So hopefully it'll be like 125 <laughs> every single game in this series. We uh, might get 150 in a game in this series. I'm for it. I'm definitely for that. They did that against the Rockets in the bubble. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at FlybyNight. That's F-L-Y-B-Y-K-N-I-T-E. You can also find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash flybynight. And you can find me at the Clip and Roll podcast on the Blue Wire Network. There you go. Guys, thanks so much for listening to Locked on Maps. Peace out. Boom. <laughs>